Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. 
It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Advice that you get just kind of from people that don't really understand why you're doing something is so often wrong. It, it, like this whole experience has really made me feel that you really have a couple people that get what you're doing. And maybe it's more if you're lucky, it's more. But mm-hmm. you have people that get what you're doing. And you almost have to disregard the advice everyone else gives you by default. Kind of listen, right? And listen if there's any idea that sort of sparks something in your head. Yeah. But anytime you really listen to advice that, that people give, you're well, first of all, you're, you're, if it's from their personal experience, it is probably what they did. Or if it's not, it's what they read someone else did. And you're really just going to, at best, recreate those results. But even that rarely happens because you don't know everything that goes into something and so many other reasons. Um, but that was something that I learned at, at such a deep level was you really have to be guided by your vision. And your vision may evolve. Like you know, There's so many times that it's evolved for me. But you really have to stay guided towards that. Because at worst, if it's a failure doing that, great move on and do something else but if it's a success doing that then you feel much better and if it's a success doing sort of the advice piece together from what other people tell you chances are you're going to end up you know in the same place that someone who hates their job or dislikes their job is in where they feel kind of stuck and trapped Mm -hmm. you know you there's so many people out there that you feel that way in your own projects in your own companies and that I think it really comes from following other people's values and following other people's advice because when you're really guided by your own principles that that doesn't happen. I'm Srini Rao and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Today's episode of The Unmistakable Creative is brought to you by our friends at HostGator. We're into the second month of the new year, and maybe you've already forgotten about your resolutions, projects, and plans you are making. Sometimes just the act of building a website, even if you have no idea what it's going to be for, can be really useful and give you a creative sandbox to explore all sorts of ideas with. It's actually how a lot of our projects and ideas come to life at Unmistakable Creative before you actually see them. And HostGator makes it really easy to get started. They have 24-7 live support via phone, chat, and email, which, as you've heard from a HostGator customer, is incredibly reliable. They have an easy-to-use website builder, and if you want to get your hands dirty they have one click wordpress install so you can design your own site so visit hostgator.com slash creative and use the promo code creative for 30 percent off all hosting packages ben welcome to the unmistakable creative thanks so much for taking the time to join us Thanks so much for having me, Serena. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, it is uh, my pleasure to have you here. You know, I was referred uh, to you by way of our mutual friend, Mike Del Ponte, who uh, was yes. a former guest here on The Unmistakable Creative. And, you know, when I, when I got to hear a little bit about what you're up to, I was uh, immediately intrigued. And, you know, everybody knows my, my sort of filter for how we choose people is, is curiosity. And uh, so naturally, uh, you know, when you mentioned that you make chocolate, I was like, uh, hell yeah. Uh, I happen to be a fan of chocolate. So uh, on that note, can you tell us uh, a bit about yourself, uh, your story, your background, and how it has led you to everything that you're up to now? 
Yeah, definitely. I get that a lot. People usually, you know, they ask the usual, what do you do questions? And when you say I make chocolate, it usually intrigues people that are used to just hearing sort of a mundane answer. And I have a feeling that might be a part of why I continue to make chocolate for so long might be just because (laughs) of that. So, so how I got here has been very interesting stories. So uh, prior to getting into making chocolate, I worked mostly on the computer doing web design and, and things of that nature. And like a lot of people in that world, you're used to sitting at your computer all day long. And I think you're sort of naturally driven to find something to make with your hands. I've met a lot of people that came from similar backgrounds that got into making coffee or cocktails or, you know, it it seems to be a a theme that I hear over and over again. Mm -hmm. Uh, But for me, uh, I was getting really passionate about food and ended up, I would just go to any food lecture that seemed interesting. And I ended up at one that was all about chocolate, which I was not expecting. It was one of my favorite food authors. Uh, His name is David Wolf, but I wasn't expecting it to be about chocolate. And so it was about an hour and a half, basically, history lesson of chocolate, which was so fascinating, which we can get into later if it's something you're curious about. But what really changed my life was at the end of that lecture, there was somebody there making chocolate milkshakes. And they were making it straight from just unprocessed cocoa beans. And I tried some of that. This was in San Francisco. It was maybe uh, like 7 or 8 in the evening. And I had, I, I got one of these milkshakes and I can say that it changed my life. And not just because of how it tasted, which was definitely unlike anything I'd ever had that I thought of as chocolate. Looking back, most of the chocolate that I had, whether it was M&M's as a kid or Godiva, nicer gourmet chocolates more as an adult, was all really just different forms of candy in a way. And this was almost like seeing a three-dimensional version of that. But really... Um, I just got so much energy from it and just felt so un- uplifted and happy. I almost couldn't stop smiling. And that's something that may be an extreme version of something you hear about with chocolate where people have some when they're not feeling so well. But, uh, you know, that was just such a powerful experience where I actually couldn't fall asleep that night uh, and just got the feeling that this had some kind of impact on my life that I wasn't aware of yet. And that was in 2007. And so it kind of led me on a journey of trying to learn how to make chocolate and, and um, started making it from there. Uh, so I don't want to keep rambling on, but um, if you'd like, I can kind of keep going with how I oh, actually yeah. got into making chocolate. Yeah, I would actually. Yeah. So I couldn't find any chocolate that I had the same response to as this milkshake. I searched everywhere and I would eventually find... Uh, like I'm thinking of a couple in Berkeley that they rented a small kitchen and then make chocolate. And I discovered it in a Whole Foods. I was just trying a lot of different types of chocolate. And I discovered it in a Whole Foods and just loved this chocolate. It was the only kind that I really got a similar feeling from. And I think what that, the root of what I was looking for was chocolate that was not heavily processed, not loaded with all the sugar and and flavors where you kind of just get a junk food or a candy. Like a lot of people think of chocolate when they think of those things Mm -hmm. Um, and really find people that were just taking chocolate in whatever form, cocoa beans, or maybe a little later in the process and just keeping it really about that and letting that really shine. And so I found a couple in Berkeley and I actually looked them up, called them, was like, Hey, can I come by your kitchen? They told me I was the 10th person that had ever done that. And the first, uh, the first that wasn't a woman, uh, but they they had usually gotten people coming there, and they would buy. You could buy a bunch of chocolate directly from them because otherwise it was maybe four dollars a piece, 
which gets expensive. They're tiny little pieces. So I bought maybe like 50 chocolates from them. Um, and, and really just got obsessed with it. I kind of, chocolate's one of those things that if you, if you know even a little bit about cooking and someone tells you I'm baking a pie this evening, you sort of have a mental image in your head that pops up. You might've never made a pie before, but you kind of know, okay, there's an oven involved. There's going to be mixing. And with chocolate, at least for me, and I think for a lot of other people, you don't really get any image like that. You, for me, the thing that I got was, okay, you go to a store, there's chocolate, there's Willy Wonka and movies like that that kind of make it into this mysterious, magical thing. And that's about it. That's about all I knew. So I didn't even know where to get started in making it. And back then, uh, around 2007, 2008, there wasn't as much, there wasn't as many people making it as there are now. Uh, and there was a lot less information. So I really just started absorbing everything I could. I started watching YouTube videos, reading books. And it was one of those things people always ask, you know, the first time you made chocolate, did it, did it taste terrible? You know, did you have to refine it? And it actually was very different. For about six months, I couldn't make it at all. I was, it was just, I couldn't wrap my head around it. And just after reading, just something clicked. And then I started making it. And, and really, I think, it, I think it came out pretty well from the beginning. And I started sweetening it all with wild honey. Um, because at the time, I was trying to really minimize the amount of refined sugar I was having. And I was going to a lot of farmer's markets. And so I just decided to start making it with wild honey, which I later found out is really rare in the chocolate world, but at the time was just sort of the way that I decided to make it, which is kind of a theme that I hear from people in a lot of different fields. When you don't know anything about something and you jump in, you usually come to your own conclusions that are very different from what's established, that if you were in that world or kind of went about it the traditional way, uh, like you know, going to a culinary school, working under... Um, a well-known chocolate maker, you would just end up at those same conclusions, but doing it on your own, you kind of find, find a different path to it. Okay. Other than the fact that I'm, I'm hungry and uh, <laughs> you know, my mouth is watering, which means you're going to have to send me some of this chocolate after of we're course. done. Uh, lots of questions that come from this. Uh, you know, I, and you've, you heard me talk to a lot of people. So, you, you know, the one thing I'm always going to want to be curious about it is, you know, childhood. Like, were you one of these kids who grew up watching Willy Wonka thinking, oh my God, like, that's it. Like where you, you know, Charlie and Charlie and the chocolate factory, right. um, you know, I mean, what, what in the world would, you know, early in your life lead you down this sort of odd trajectory? That's a very interesting question. I mean, as far as where I was as a kid, uh, my family came from Eastern Europe, which meant that I was either eating a lot of their food or a lot of McDonald's because they were busy at work. And so I definitely had no culinary dreams of like, you know, watching Willy Wonka, at least in that way. I watched it, I think at school, but it was not necessarily something that really stood out. The one thing that I can mention, when I was a kid, uh, I grew up in Cupertino, which is sort of in Silicon Valley, and I grew up really loving computers and technology. And the way I figured out you know, how to work a computer, all the, all the sort of usual stuff, is by breaking it a lot. You know, My parents got me a computer, I think, because I was sort of in that world, that I think, when I was six. And immediately, I just started breaking it and figuring out how it worked and eventually got to the point where I actually understood it. And at the time, I didn't really think of that as anything special, but it's sort of the same way I learned about chocolate was similar to that, where I just started tinkering with it, messing around, trying to figure out how it was made rather than, and, and definitely reading a lot, but rather than thinking, okay, I have to go to a, a school, I have to go, you know, that was sort of... I think I, I sort of had an, an inkling of learning that way. Mm -hmm. um, 
but uh, but that's really the only thing in my childhood that that brought me there. I was also because of that, you know, the amount of fast food I was eating. There was also definitely a time in my childhood where I was pretty overweight, and I remember one of the things that really kind of stuck with me was in, in junior high when I was, you know, when I was uh, eating really unhealthy. I was having maybe about three sodas a day, three cokes. Mm-hmm. And I remember realizing, and I think I think everyone sort of intuitively, intuitively knows some things that are bad for you. Like there might be disagreements, but everyone knows that drinking a lot of soda or maybe any soda is not good. And I switched from that to orange juice. And that was the first kind of healthy choice I can remember making. And that had a large impact on me. And it, in some ways has really shaped the way I make chocolate, which is, you know, keeping everything really natural so you can understand the ingredients, not using anything or minimizing how many refined uh, products we use. So, so those are things I can say that, that shape me, but I think it's different than, you know, a kid that's always in the kitchen or, you know, I definitely wouldn't have guessed that I would have been making chocolate really at any point in my life. It was as much a surprise to me as it was to people that I would tell, you know, about strangers or people that I knew, Hey, I'm making chocolate. It was as much a surprise to me, which is maybe I think what got people so fascinated by it is, you know, maybe I didn't come across as somebody who would be making chocolate and, and people were sort of interested in that story of what drew me to it. Mm. You know, that, uh, that inherent need or, or desire to break something in order to understand it, uh, you think mm. that is something that is just built into certain people and that's just the way they make sense of the world? Or do you think that that is something that can be learned and developed? I think it's definitely built into certain people. Asking if it can be learned and developed almost makes me think that maybe the way you're thinking of it is that's the better way to do it, that uh-huh. maybe, maybe a lot of entrepreneurs come from that background. I mean, I know for me, school, I, I went to sort of different schools that were pr- pretty challenging, and I hated it. Um, I could sort of get by by working really hard, but I always felt like I didn't fit in. And looking back, you know, if I if I knew that that was just another way of learning, it probably would have would have made me a lot happier versus trying to fit you know kind of a, a round peg into a square hole. Um, so I think some people are definitely wired that way, whereas some people just want structure and want them to be, you know, want someone to walk them through it. Mm-hmm. I almost feel like for just the way that our society is organized, that's, you probably will on average be more successful if you're one of those people, unless you're one of these allies who create something so great that people want, which I'm not necessarily putting myself in that category, but you cr- just create something that other people are so curious about that mm-hmm. your curiosity has led you to. Um, but I think you can, you can definitely start doing it if, if someone listening to this is saying to themselves, oh, I wish I was one of those people. It's really just as simple as just following your curiosity. I mean, there's some parts that I think that uh, are trained out of people that really school and the workplace makes you think you're as good as the directions. You're as good as how closely you follow the directions. And that's really one idea that I think if you get rid of, it'll sort of at least unleash however much of that is, is within you. Um, and following your curiosity, I, I've met so many people that would tell me when they would hear about what I'm doing, oh, I'm, I'm really fascinated about, fold, you know, even something small like folding napkins. Like there's a whole world, I think, of how napkins are folded, at, you know, in, in some kind of origami, high-end type of way. I don't really know much about it. But people would tell me all sorts of little things that they're curious about. And they would say it almost as like, you know, something under their breath. Like, oh, yeah, there's this thing I'm really curious about and, you know, whatever. 
And really, to me, those are the things that you have to follow. Like, I didn't start with chocolate. I actually started with food and with uh, trying to be healthier in a way, which is like, how could you guess I would have ended up in chocolate? It's probably the last place <laughs> you guess, right? You'd yeah. think I'd end up being a, like a nutritional a nutritionist or a doctor. I don't know, whatever you think that would lead to. Mm-hmm. But you really don't know why you're curious about something. There's, there's sort of a mystery about it. And you kind of have to follow that thread. And, and it goes back to, you know, that Steve Jobs commencement speech where everyone talks about how you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only do it looking back. The same is true for, for curiosity. You really don't know, especially, you know, there's so many people out there that don't know what their purpose is, what they're meant to do. You usually don't know. I think you just kind of have to discover it or it has to find you, which is really the way I felt. I felt like it was something that kind of found me that, if you would have asked me when I first got passionate about it, I probably would, you know, would have said, I'm really, you know, I feel like I have to do this. But as far as careers go, or as far as starting a business, I mean, anyone in the food industry knows that, you know, with margins and, and just with a lot of the complications of doing, of, of making, selling food or doing events, it's a really tough industry. It's not something that you really get into probably to, to make money or at least in, in the gourmet side of things. And, you know, but I was, I just kind of felt like I couldn't stop. And in fact, there are many times that I tried to quit and it was kind of like, you know, it was so much work. I was doing events or chocolate making classes and I'd be up to like four in the morning cleaning or, you know, getting ready for a class and be like, I can't, you know, I can't do this anymore. And then I would almost quit in my mind. And then I'd wake up the next day and be like, well, I, I mean, I have to do that. You know, it's it kind of just this feeling where it was like no matter what, even if I wanted to quit, I, I just had to come back to it. Mm. You know, I love that you mentioned curiosity because you know I, I gave a talk recently to a, a group of people in Mexico, and, and you know, I said that curiosity is is you know one of the most powerful places that you can operate from. Uh, you know, I, I think it's this essential ingredient to our evolution, and we don't actually have more of it as we get older. We tend to have a lot less of it. Yeah, one of one of my favorite books that I read recently. Uh, I forget the name of it. It was written by the same guy who wrote um, a, a Brilliant Mind. I'll try. Maybe it's called The Curious Mind. Mm-hmm. And it was all about this Hollywood producer who, <clears throat> excuse me, who since he was a kid or since he was in his early twenties, he would have what he calls a curiosity conversation with somebody. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, Brian Grazer. Yeah, exactly. Have you read the book? Yeah, I have actually. It's, yeah, it's awesome. And, and he talks about how I think every week he would have a, what he called a curiosity conversation, which is he would just sit down with someone about. You know, who's someone whose work he was curious about, someone just whose work he was curious about, and not really looking for that to lead anywhere. But he talks about in the book there's so many times where that he he kind of called on that curiosity or the things he learned from there in in a work project or something like that, and how much it really um, how much it really helped him. And and today there's there's no real limit to how much you can indulge your curiosity. Mm-hmm. You know, back back in you know, even probably 20 years ago, or even really before YouTube or blogging really got, got big, if you wanted to really learn about something, you had to engage directly with people. Now there's more information out there than anyone could ever digest. And really being curious is kind of the only way you can make sense of it. Otherwise, it's just too much. So you know, when you talk about breaking uh, the system in order to understand it, I, you know, I can't help but go back to the conversation I had with Cal Newport, uh, where mm-hmm. he talked about uh, you know, for him, it, it, like what that started to do, especially because it was a young forming mind that was being exposed to sort of this how to sort of systematic thinking. Um, right. I'm, I'm curious, you know, how did that 
sort of um, systematic thinking, I guess is the way to put it, influence and shape the decisions you made later on about what you wanted to do with your life? Mm, that's a good question. Um, the, thing, the thing that comes to mind when you say that is a lot of, if someone, if someone comes to like a career coach or someone in a mentor and says, hey, I'm really passionate about chocolate, the first, you know, the really the only outcomes of, in terms of making a career out of it probably would be, okay, so you start a chocolate company, you open a little chocolate shop, you sell in stores. And none of those things ever really appealed to me. I mean, I got into it really just because of the curiosity. I didn't mention this, but the first couple of years when I was making chocolate, um, I was really just making it at night. I mean, I was, I'd work during the day and sometimes it'd be up till two in the morning and I'd be making chocolate. And the irony was that I was making websites a lot during the day and I didn't even have my own website for <laughs> the stuff, which I think was sort of, uh, in a way is funny, but in another way to me, it makes total sense because I, I kind of wanted to get away from that. And, and I sort of had this experiment in mind at the beginning of it. Well, what if I just do the stuff that I want to do? I mean, I'm not some, some, uh, so many times you get into a project with, with an expectation out of it. And I didn't have that from the beginning. So I was like, well, what if I just do the stuff that, that I like doing and I just see where this goes. And so I didn't have a website, which meant people would email me, um, you know, word kind of spread about, these chocolates that I was making and, and people would email me. Usually this is how every email would start. Hey, I think that I have the wrong person because I tried to look you up and I couldn't find anything, but X, Y, Z told me that you make these incredible chocolates and I have to try some, how can I buy them? And I would respond and send them a PayPal link and then make some chocolates and, and send it over to them. So that's, you know, that's how it started as a hobby. But and when people sort of would hear about that, friends and family would say, oh, you have to, you have to open a store. You have to um, ramp up production. You have to get investment, open up a factory. You have to, you know, there's so many, so much of the advice that I got was kind of like, it's almost like someone had seized candy in mind, uh -huh. right? Or, or like a, a success story that they knew of and was like, okay, so you kind of have something here. Now here's what you, here's the textbook way to grow that. And, and uh, of course, like the assumption is that you want to grow it. Not everyone wants to, to have some huge enterprise. Some, sometimes it's fun just to, just to do your own small little thing as a hobby or even as a business. Uh -huh. Um, and so that never appealed to me. And I, um, there was some point where a friend of mine was running a TEDx event and asked me to sponsor. She didn't even know I, I made chocolates. Actually at the time I was, uh, spending, um, a lot of my time interviewing startups for TechCrunch, which is sort of like I've had all these different jobs over the years that most people are kind of surprised to know about in chocolate and, and kind of falls right into that. It's something people don't expect. But I was doing that. She was like, I can't believe you make chocolate. Um, I have to, you have to make it for this TEDx event. And I made it for that event, which is a couple hundred people. And it, I was one of the two sponsors, and the other sponsor was Whole Foods. So <laughs> what, that, what that meant was, uh, and I think most people listening probably are familiar with TEDx events. This one was in San Francisco where there's a couple. I think it was, I think it was the Soma one. So it was, there was maybe four or 500 attendees, maybe even up to 1,000, actually. can't recall exactly the number. But it was a lot of people. It was a huge auditorium. And up on this giant screen where they have, you know, a lot of Apple keynotes, just so you can kind of put it in your mind. Like on this giant screen is this huge Whole Foods logo. And then like my little logo, which I designed on my computer maybe like a year ago and is now like, I'm like, wow, this is kind of hilarious. And I was making chocolates there and people really loved it. 
And somebody there gave me an idea. They were like, hey, have you ever done a chocolate making class? And, he's, and I was like, no. And we started kind of talking. He was like, oh, I'm just kind of a business guy, but I used to work with this, this, cho- this chocolate maker who now left for, for Europe. But if you want, I can kind of lay out what we did. It was sort of a really interesting thing. And I had lunch with him. And that's sort of what led me to doing chocolate making classes, which, which actually is the majority of what I did for, for a couple of years. People assume, oh, I was making chocolate, which I was at. But really, it was doing classes that, that got it to um, be something that was a business versus a hobby. Uh, and so to answer your question, I think you asked about how do you sort of systematize? Yeah. Um, I, th- I think that I mean, Cal Newport, I'm a huge fan of his work. Um, and so uh, I'm kind of thinking of his work a bit. Maybe, can you explain a little more when you say systematize? Do you mean like, yeah, you know, sy- I mean, yeah. he said that, um, you know, when he looked at how people were studying, for example, this was, the, this was the example that he used, uh, you know, when, when we had him here on the show recently, he said that, you know, he looked at what caused straight A students to get straight A's. And then he looked at how other people were doing things. And he said, you know, part of what informed that way of looking at the world was that he let, read a lot of how to business writing when he was growing up. Mm-hmm. So he tended to have this sort of systematic thinking where he, you know, was very tempted to always look at what were the most effective ways of doing things. Um, and then, you know, modeling things based on that. And so, you know, when I, when I look at, you know, when I hear you talk about uh, this notion of breaking the system in order to understand it, that's where my mind went immediately. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I can, if, if I'm understanding the question right, I definitely used a lot of, a lot of the how-tos or sort of examples that I used were mm-hmm. outside of the food world. Um, I think that every industry and every sort of uh, group of, of, you know, community or company has, has a culture and a way of doing things. And a lot of times in the food world, you just make a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Like when I said I started making chocolate, a lot of people would tell me, oh, you know, are you going to, you should make macaroons or, you know, because that was getting really popular then or, you know, this, this other food. And, and I was like, no, I, I'm really, it's just this. Like, I, if I'm, I think I'm only ever going to make this, you know, as far as except for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just want to get so good at doing that. Um, and that was something that a lot of, I find in a lot of tech companies, a lot of the best ones, they really have a focus. Um, and I, I, can, I mean, I, I definitely took a lot from that just based on, just based on um, my background. Um, but I don't think that there was any system, and maybe that's just me, but I don't think there was any system I used to learn it. It was really, it was really haphazard. I mean, I was reading all, all sorts of books that seemed interesting. I would buy a bunch and read a chapter here from one, a chapter there from another, and sort of you kind of start fusing things together. Mm-hmm. Um, as someone I think told me once, if you want to be, if you want to really be an expert on a subject, you know, buy like 10, 20 books and just just start reading them. You know, the, it's easy to if you just read one book, you kind of just get one point of view on it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean that's that's maybe maybe there's no real. I don't really have an answer to that because I don't think I so much used a system. But it was also because I didn't really have a goal in mind, which mm-hmm. is kind of a, a weird thing to say. But when I first started making chocolate, I didn't have a goal of you know. I need to make, I mean, I, I definitely would have loved to make a living off it, but I wouldn't have said, oh, my goal is to, to have this amount of revenue a year, or my goal is to have, you know, be in these stores. So it's kind of, in a way, to have a system, you sort of need to know what your goal is. Right. 
And I, strangely enough with this, I didn't really have one. It was more, the goal was how can I feed my own curiosity and how really actually the goal even beyond that was, you know, I sort of shared the story of that the first time I really had um, chocolate in kind of this, this minimally processed way that was made kind of almost from scratch. And I just had this feeling that stuck with me that still sticks with me to this day. And if anything, my goal was how many, you know, how, how can I best give that feeling to other people? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really what, what drove me. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's as best I can answer that. You know, it's interesting to listen to you describe uh, this process. It, it reminded me of a quote from my friend AJ Leon. You may not be familiar with his work, but uh, you know, he said, "Never allow infinite scalability to be the litmus test of whether an idea is worth pursuing." Totally. And and you know, it just the, when you said you weren't trying to create C's candy, that I immediately my mind immediately went there. And um, totally. you know, <clears throat> it seems like it's really just been a deliberate choice on your part to keep it that way. Yeah. And to give you sort of some more background on on what happened next after that that. TEDx event, um, I decided I was going to put together a chocolate making class because really for me, a lot of the joy came from making it and from sharing it with other people. There's, you know, chocolate's a, a really popular gift, but when you actually make it yourself, it even takes that to, to such a more personal level. Mm-hmm. And that was one thing that really brought me a lot of joy was just, you know, that's kind of a part of sharing it is, is making it for people. And because it took me relatively, you no, know, not really a long time, but, you know, it took me longer to learn how to make it than it could have if there were more resources than just kind of piecing things together myself. Um, I decided a class where people could come and make it themselves would be really great. And so definitely set out to, to, um, to have one of those. And in San Francisco, the toughest thing was finding a space. I mean, I'm sure a lot of, a lot of you out there can imagine um, it's expensive to rent a kitchen space in San Francisco. Uh, and even then it's, it can be hard to find one. I mean, if you have an unlimited budget, you can definitely find one. But a lot of the spaces I looked at would be, you know, renting it for a couple hours would be like a thousand dollars, for example. Um, and I really wanted to do a class and, and back then this was 2011, um, the San Francisco Chronicle was just starting to lease out off, uh, some of its space because it was kind of, um, uh, downsizing a bit, and there was a, a co-working space that opened up there, and they built this huge kitchen. That after months, like I searched for months trying to find a space, couldn't find it. Got so desperate that I just sent out an email to basically everyone in my Gmail account, and somebody got back to me, and they're like, "Oh, you should connect with this company, Skillshare. That's that's in a little company in New York, and they're about to launch in San Francisco, and I think they can help you find a space." And then they helped me find this space, and. So we put the first class together and I expected the first class to really just be a couple people, maybe three, four people and sort of, you know, would help me just kind of break even on just the cost involved. And I really was just doing it for fun. Mm -hmm. And that first class, we got 17 people, which um, for like the space was a lot of people. And I definitely didn't have that much chocolate making equipment. So I started borrowing stuff from friends, family, Uh, had somebody's... um, bowl explode in that class because I hadn't purchased enough bowls to know if they're glass, they're heat safe and not heat safe versions of, of glass bowls and someone's bowl literally exploded. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember, folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Exploded. Um, everyone was fine. But it was kind of, in my mind, it was, you know, it was almost like a disaster in some ways because of all these little things that gone wrong. And there's probably a lot of others that I don't remember. But afterwards, people came up to me and they told me that that class was one of the best experiences they've ever had. Um, and they're like, you have to do another one of these. And and did another one the, the next month. Still kind of surprised that so many people showed up. 
um, but did another one just to see if it would happen again. And 19 people came to that one. And then the, the next month there were 40 people that came um, to a couple classes that we did. And then the next year over a thousand people. So it really grew quickly and doing classes was sort of really natural to me because I loved being around people. Um, it was, it was very different from just making chocolate, you know, by yourself with a couple of people, maybe, um, dealing with stores and vendors, you know, it was, it was sort of like, I kind of stumbled into this whole different way of having a business making chocolate that I never would have even guessed before. Um, and that's really, that's really where most of the growth has been, uh, up until recently where we started for the past year trying to design a way for people to do that at home because we were noticing, first of all, people were asking us, uh, well, to even mention something else, the goal with those classes from this, the, this, um, the business guy that kind of gave me ideas about that. He was like, you know, just so you know, the way these classes really make money is people come and then they buy a bunch of chocolate from you. And then, you know, that's how we really grow our business. I was like, okay, that's interesting. Um, but I noticed because the whole purpose of the class was basically I wanted people that night to be able to go home make and make chocolate. So I made everything as simple as possible. Mm-hmm. And so people actually could care less about buying chocolate. They were like, oh, this is amazing. I might never buy chocolate again. I think I'm going to make all my own chocolate from now on. And so I start, but really their challenge was finding all the ingredients because they were pretty hard to find at the time and still aren't super easy. It's easier than and then, so I started putting out these little chocolate making kits that kind of had everything all in one box and people really started buying those. And then people started buying them to send to a, a relative that lived in Atlanta or somewhere far away where they were never going to come to one of the events. Mm-hmm. And so the past year has really been designing a version of that so that anybody can, um, can do it at home. And there, it's, it's, even when we were doing those classes, I think my thinking at the time and what so many people were telling me was like, you know, really like people were telling me franchise this. It's funny the advice that you get from people. I think no matter what you do, except for the couple of people which are really kind of close uh, confidants that you have or people that you really admire, just advice that you get just kind of from people that don't really understand why you're doing something is so often wrong. And like this whole experience has really made me feel that you really have a couple people that get what you're doing and maybe it's more if you're lucky it's more but mm-hmm. you have people that get what you're doing and you almost have to disregard the advice everyone else gives you by default kind of listen right and listen if there's any idea that sort of sparks something in your head yeah. but anytime you really listen to advice that that people give you're well first of all you're you're if it's from their personal experience it is probably what they did or if it's not, it's what they read someone else did. And you're really just going to, at best, recreate those results. But even that rarely happens because you don't know everything that goes into something and so many other reasons. Um, but that was something that I learned at, at such a deep level was you really have to be guided by your vision. And your vision may evolve. Like you know, There's so many times that it's evolved for me. But you really have to stay guided towards that. Because at worst, if it's a failure doing that, great move on and do something else but if it's a success doing that then you feel much better and if it's a success doing sort of the advice piece together from what other people tell you chances are you're going to end up you know in the same place that someone who hates their job or dislikes their job is in where they feel kind of stuck and trapped Mm -hmm. you know you there's so many people out there that you feel that way in your own projects in your own companies and that I think it really comes from following other people's values and following other people's advice because when you're really guided by your own principles that that doesn't happen. 
Yeah, I, I really, really appreciate you saying that because I, I think that, you know, you're talking a lot of, about a lot more than running a business. I mean, I think that applies to your life at, at large. Yeah. Yeah. And for, I imagine a lot of people listening to your podcast, they have something they want to start on their own or they're maybe already doing it. And when you're doing something like that, it probably is going to be hard to distinguish that in your life. You know, it really kind of consumes your life in a lot of ways. And so it really, in even, even I agree with what you're saying. And I would say it's, it's even more extreme where really the two are linked and how there's, there's really almost no difference between the way you choose to live your life and the way you choose to really invest in projects that you believe in, because, you know, they're going to, no matter what, if something takes off, you can plan for it, you can do a million things, but if something takes off, which I think is what you would hope for, you're going to be putting in a lot of energy and you're going to have a lot of little decisions. And if, if you're just staying true to yourself, it's going to be so much easier. There's more of my conversation with Ben after this short message from our sponsors. Susan Piver was recently a guest here on The Unmistakable Creative just a few months ago, and she talked about how to incorporate mindfulness and meditation practices into your life. She says that just 15 minutes a day can change your life. I've already made it a part of my daily routine, and it's made a tremendous difference in all sorts of things. I don't get flustered when I'm sitting in traffic. I'm able to focus for longer periods of time on the things that I'm working on, and it's also just made me happier and more calm. And a meditation practice seems to be a part of nearly every world-class performer's daily routine, ranging from Oprah to former Chicago Bulls and Lakers head coach Phil Jackson. Lots of people have heard about the benefits of meditation, but they don't know how to start a practice, or they start and they get derailed by thinking that they're doing it wrong, or they just don't have time. If this is something you want a little guidance on to get yourself going, Susan is offering a four-week online course through Shambhala Publications called Start Here Now. And over the course of the four weeks, Susan will guide you through the basics of starting a meditation practice, teach you how to work your body, breath, and mind for an effective practice, present her best tips for creating a sustainable routine, explain how to navigate the inevitable roadblocks, teach you the key principles of meditation and clarify common misconceptions you might have, as well as show you how to maintain a potent connection to your unique path. It's a great value for $119, and you get guided meditations, live conference calls with Susan, reading assignments, a free ebook, and private discussion forums. So visit Shambhala.com. That's S-H-A-M-B-H-A-L-A.com. There's an old way to buy a car and a new way to buy a car. Technology continues to evolve. Everything evolves. Really, there was a time when the hard drive that you carry on your keychain weighed as much as a ton of bricks and cost about a month's rent. It's hard to imagine if you're a millennial, but there was such a time not too long ago. And as you heard from Salim Ismail, technology is increasing and growing at an exponential rate. So as technology and innovation advances, it would make sense that there's a new and better way to buy a car. And finally, there is. It's called TrueCar. And what makes TrueCar special and unique is their certified dealer network. They've partnered with over 10,000 TrueCar certified dealers that also believe in a new way to buy a car. With TrueCar, you get guaranteed savings. And TrueCar certified dealers will honor the savings. It's just that simple. TrueCar users save an average of $3,221 off manufacturer's suggested retail price with no hassles or headaches. It's how car buying was always meant to be. Over 2 million cars have been sold by the TrueCar certified dealer network. So visit TrueCar.com or download the TrueCar app and start saving. TrueCar, never overpay. And last but not least, our friends at HostGator. From helping you get your business online to making your social media profiles and even running your marketing, they're with you every step of the way. Thanks to their 24-7, 365 days a year live support, which you can get via phone, chat, and email 
any and all questions you have can be answered in no time at all. They have an easy-to-use website builder, and if you're really hardcore and want to get your hands dirty, they provide you with one-click WordPress installs. So check out HostGator, and for unmistakable creative listeners, they're offering a 30% discount on all their hosting packages. So visit HostGator.com and use the promo code CREATIVE. I know we've mentioned a few different bonus downloads in the last few episodes, so we've put them all together for you in one place. You can get access to the 10 questions to make this the most prosperous year of your life, a free guide a guide on how to set up your life for doing more deep work, and much more. So visit unmistakablecreative.com for bonus to get instant access. Now, back to my conversation with Ben. How uh, did the background in web design influence the way uh, that you approached making chocolate? when you first started? Hmm. That's interesting. I, I think the, the thing that it influenced more than the chocolate itself was really the packaging and designing the experience for people in classes and, and making that as simple as possible, making it very graphic and very easy to follow. Um, I, can't, I can't think of any way it influenced the actual chocolate itself, but that, that's been huge, especially, um, I mean, the, the biggest takeaway I've had is some of the best people in that in that world in web design or product design, experience design, what, whatever people call themselves. Um, the the most important thing is really to have empathy for who's using your product. A lot of websites are designed for people who you know the people who are actually using it might be in their fifties and sixties, and something that seems obvious to somebody that is using Reddit, which is probably a lot younger, would make no sense to them. Mm-hmm. And really just keeping that in mind, um, that's been a really big thing. Uh, another thing is in, in the chocolate world, um, I think you had Gary Vaynerchuk on your podcast, if I remember right. Maybe I'm wrong. I but don't think so. But You don't think so. But yeah. okay. I'm, but I'm a huge fan of his. And um, uh, let me think. Just lost my train of thought for a second. Um, well, you really just want to, let me just go back to what I was saying. Maybe it'll come back to me. You really just want to have empathy for the person who's using your product. That was, I guess, the, the real thing that I took from, from web design. Here's what I wanted to say. So Gary Vaynerchuk, he really got a lot of popularity from starting a wine show. And he took something that was a little bit snobby, a little bit out of reach for most people, kind of turned people off, which was the wine world, and made it something very approachable for anyone that hasn't seen these videos, he doesn't record them anymore, but uh, you can go to Wine Library TV and check out old episodes. He did like a video pairing wine with cereal, for example. Um, and you really learn a ton about wine. I mean, the thing is, he really knows his wine. He's not just somebody kind of just entertaining people. Uh, and that was something that really impacted me because when you get into the, the sort of high-end chocolate world, like the people who are really artisans and really doing it well, not just like an expensive box at a store, but people who really care, You've, I, find, I find a little bit of that, of people who sort of are making chocolate for themselves, which is, which is, you know, there's something to be said for that as well. But they're really sort of caring about things that um, the, the person consuming it will never care about. And it's a balance. I think you have to do some of that. You don't want to just make stuff for other people because otherwise it's going to be a bit hollow. Mm-hmm. But having that empathy for, for, for people really, really impacted the way I make chocolate. A lot of, a lot of people that are, that are making artisan chocolate, even now you sort of find two groups. You find, you know, people that are making truffles and you go into a store and you get all these incredible flavors. And then usually their chocolate, they, they, there's not as much emphasis on the actual chocolate as much as the flavors. And then you, you go to places like, like Dandelion Chocolate in San Francisco or a lot of 
a lot of like bean to bar chocolate makers. And it's usually there, there's all the focus is on just the chocolate and the flavor that comes out of that, but they really want to keep it at just that. And there's less, there's less attention on, you know, what people, what, like, cause an average person isn't going to know all those things. Mm. So I really tried to keep it in mind, like how, you know, how can I balance doing the things that I really want to do, which is making the chocolate the best it can be, making it as healthy as possible, not using refined products, and kind of balance it out with, okay, a lot of people aren't, some people are going to care about that, and that might be why they get it, but a lot of people aren't going to care. How can you actually just make it something where my goal was to have people have some and just have like an experience of being blown away by it? And that, that really guided me, and I tr- would try to f- kind of get that feeling myself. Um, and I, I guess, to, so to answer your question, that's what I took from, from web design and that whole world. I think you can, that, that, that mindset of just having empathy for your customer or your client, I think you can take from a lot of worlds. And in some ways, every profession you do that, someone who does that profession well has that as a part of them. So, but that, that's something that I took. And a lot of the, the best people from, you know, that I would really follow, like Jason Freed and just a, who, who runs um, a company called Basecamp, just a lot of people in that world. I, I took a lot of inspiration from, from them, which I guess made the chocolates more unique. As, I don't know if there's any like, line you can draw, but it's, it's always, I find it always really amazing. I just met these people who make um, some of the best tea I've ever had. It's called August Tea. And they really have their own unique point of making tea. And the, the two people behind it are... Um, a, it's a husband and wife, and one is a PhD in French literature uh, from Berkeley and taught French literature there. And the other, the husband is um, was a designer at IDEO and really came from that background. And you combine those two, you know, backgrounds, ways of thinking, experience, and you make tea. And it's my favorite tea. It really blows me away. And in some ways, I see parallels with, with what I've done, where you take your background and your experiences and you apply it to something that you really care about. And that's how I think you get something really unique because anything that you make, as long as it really takes your background and your experience, what you care about into account, it's going to look unlike what anything else looks like. And people that believe in that are going to resonate with it. And I think that's how you make something that uh, you're really proud of and that really, you know, end up, ends up with some people resonating with it. Obviously you can't make anything that everybody resonates with, but that's how you really find your tribe. You know, as I listen to you talk throughout this entire conversation, um, one of the things I get a sense for is that you're committed to mastery of a craft. Mm-hmm. And I'd love for you to talk about that in more detail and, and you know, what goes into, regardless of what the craft is, how the lessons that you've brought from the world of baking chocolate could be applied to our lives and our, and our own crafts. That's really interesting. I've, uh, that, that makes me think of um, Robert Greene's uh-huh. book. I am saying his name right, Mastery. I've always been very fascinated with mastery, so, so that makes sense. I've never had anyone say that. Oh, that's a huge compliment, so I appreciate it. Um, yeah, uh, wow, that's, that's, such, that's, such a, that's such a great question. Let me, let me think how to answer that. Um, I think that the, you can't, you, well, the first of all, you can't learn mastery from anyone else, right? I mean, that's, I think that's, that's a given. You can have mentors and people that are amazing in your craft, but sort of the desire for mastery is one of those things that can't be forced upon anyone. Mm-hmm. Like someone has to come along with that desire uh, by themselves. And in, in a way, the desire for it is really all that you need. Um, because if you have that desire for it, the curiosity, the teachers, the information kind of seems to come together. 
but without that desire. And that desire can also get a little bit um, murky if it has, you know, if it's like, I want to master this, but I also just want to get this done really quick, right? It's, it's kind of like there are other desires that can kind of conflict with it. But if you're really true and, and really have it um, and, and develop it, then I think the right information finds you. And it's really just a matter of patience, um, which, is, which is, I think, a tough thing for some people to hear because if what you're doing is also the only way you're making a living and someone comes along and says, well, to, to really gain mastery of this, you have to give up, you know, saying like, okay, I'm going to master this in a year or even something longer, like 10 years. I mean, I think you can master a lot, a, a lot of things in 10 years, but still just, I think once your mind starts going to get this done by, it just changes your whole attitude mm-hmm. as opposed to just getting lost in it and just exploring. I think that, I think that aspect of exploration and, really just having a childlike curiosity is really what feeds mastery and what, what really um, it's kind of the, the food or the oxygen of mastery is, uh, are those things. So I think really developing that desire and then just feeding it, I would say that those, that those are, that that's the advice I would give and surround yourself with people who, who really care about it as well. Um, and if you don't have any people like that in person, uh, maybe you live somewhere a little more rural or you just don't know anyone like that. That's the amazing thing these days with, with podcasts like yours is you can find people that, that have that sort of attitude. And I'm sure if you go back and all the guests that you have, there's, you know, huge amounts of people that have that. And really just, just getting those people in your mind and starting to think like someone who, who wants that thinks. I think there's a huge value in that. I can't, you know, I can't count the number of hours that I've watched um, interviews with people I admire. I mean, that's probably that's probably my main form of, of entertainment is listening to, um, you know, just long interviews with people like um, like Steve Jobs or, or or Jack Dorsey or you know just just people that that you know there's there's so many na- like names that are kind of celebrities and those are probably in those. But there's also so many that you just sort of stumble upon. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as long as it resonates with you and you feel that, I think that that can really help fuel you as well. Cause if, if you're just doing it by yourself, it can get a bit lonely. Um, and it really helps to have some kind of community to do it with, even if it's just virtual. You know, it's interesting because, um, I feel like I, I see so many parallels between your process for making chocolates and mine for building unmistakable creative, as weird as that might sound. I'd love to hear those. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned that you've got all these different influences and inputs that you have kind of borrowed from and applied to what you do. And, you know, 600 interviews later or more at this point, um, you know, I figured all that information has to go somewhere. And it, it definitely shapes and influences everything that I do. Like I've borrowed bits and pieces from every person that I've talked to over the years. Yeah, I mean the the information that you consume and the people around you really shape who you are. I think that's why it's so powerful choosing where you live and choosing choosing the people that are in your life is because that really starts to impact you in a way that you can't really control. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I think it, I mean just the the world of podcasts is so amazing. But but yours is you know as a part of that is it's so it's so easy now to surround yourself with that. It's almost like there's no excuse. I think you used to be able to say. Oh, I live in XYZ city, so I don't have that, or you know, other other reasons, or I don't have the money to to move out of here, or I don't have the money to go to a school to learn about all these things. And really, all those barriers are gone, which is what makes the time that we live in such an incredible time. And 
you know, if, if you, a lot of people out there, I, I know I'm like this, I have bloggers that I really love and follow who will just post stuff that they find really interesting that week. And it feels like, you know, the, the number of Kickstarter projects and people just doing something on their own. I don't know if it's just access to information, but it feels like so there's so much more of that now mm-hmm. than there was before. And that's, I mean, that's incredible too. Um, but it's incredible to get inspired by that, but it's just so incredible that so many more people are doing it because it's so, it's so much easier to get information, to have an idea, to execute that idea. You know, there's so much of that is, 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 is easier. It almost makes me feel like me or anybody on, on any podcast that kind of, if there's a time machine and someone from 1840, uh, or, you know, someone like Thomas Jefferson or, you know, someone from just an older time could come back and it's almost like they're the ones that have all the real advice because they had to do all this without what we have. And we, we have it so easy. But, but, but probably the best thing to take from that is really just to enjoy all the information that's out there and really just be grateful for, for how easy it is. That even if you have a job where you work every day till 6, 7 p.m., even just an hour or two at the end of the day can really lead you somewhere. You know, one of the things you said uh, earlier in our conversation was that because you didn't know what you were doing, uh, you were able to do a lot of very unique things that yeah. you wouldn't necessarily have thought of doing if you'd had a background um, in you know making chocolate or had gone right. to culinary school. Right. And you know, I think of it sort of like the beginner's mind. You know, ironically, I don't listen to a ton of podcasts, and and part of yes. the reason is is what you you brought up. Uh, right. And I especially don't listen to a lot of business podcasts. Right. Uh, but the the reason I brought this up is I'm really interested uh, in how we could bring about that sense of a beginner's mind uh, in our work. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest it's it's not so much learning it; it's unlearning everything that holds you back from that. Yeah, I, that's our natural state. And when when you said that, the first thing that comes to mind is there's this this fear and security that I think drives us to want to know what everyone else in our world is doing. And by our world, I mean people doing similar things. Um, so if someone starts a podcast, you know, you're kind of nervous and the natural thing to sort of assuade that nervousness is to be like, okay, you know what? I'm going to listen to the top 50 podcasts. I'm going to knock them out, you know, this weekend, I'm listening to a little bit of each one and I'm going to write down, you know, this is what this person did. Okay, cool. I'll do that. This person, has this kind of intro music. Okay, great. Right. And then you end up with something that's a bit cookie cutter and it comes from the outside instead of coming from the inside. So I think that that's, that's the thing that comes to mind that really holds that back. Um, I also think that having practices that really clear things out of your mind are helpful. A lot of people view meditation that way. For me, it's running more than anything. Running in nature really helps clear my mind. And and when I when I go for a long run, there'll be some point, maybe it'll be like 20, 30 minutes into it where the sort of chatter in your mind, you kind of, it just runs out, mm-hmm. you know, like it kind of, it's not that it, it's not that it wasn't there in the first place, but it's kind of like, okay, it kind of reached its conclusion because it had some space. And then something comes to you, some kind of idea. And it's really following that, I think. So, so I think it's really getting, getting out of the way of that. And there's probably so many more things that can get in the way of it. I know another thing that actually comes to my mind is stress. I can't think of anyone being really truly creative and kind of connected to just their own intuitive sense of what they want to create and and just be inspired if they're really stressed. Uh, and a lot of people are stressed these days. So that's 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 maybe a a, a bigger issue to 
to solve, but at least maybe getting a moment, getting some time where you can really just clear stuff out of the way can be huge. Mm. You know, at the beginning of our conversation, uh, the way you described the moment of uh, drinking that milkshake was the way I feel like most people describe flow. And I'm not necessarily interested in, in how you create that state because I think we've done a lot around that. I'm wondering if you think everybody has that thing in their life that creates that. Like, is that something that every single person on this planet has? Has, as in they, they've already had it or that they No, have- I mean that, 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 that it is possible, like this sense of flow, this sense that you're destined to do yeah. this thing. Yeah, I mean... My answer to that is yes. Obviously, it's a bigger question than, than yeah. anyone would be able to answer. But my answer is yes. <laughs> yeah, my answer is yes because um, every time I talk to somebody for long enough, I sort of get an inkling of that. Maybe not what it is, but I start to feel it. Yeah. Like if I meet someone, um, you know, just out with friends or you know, at a bar, and you know, you kind of get the first thing that somebody asks is, you know, what do you do? Which I think is the worst question I've. I haven't, I've lost track of this a bit recently, but I really want to cut that out of, yeah, it's sort of like one of those conversation fillers. Yeah. I'd much rather start with what are you passionate about, which a lot of people I've noticed, it kind of takes them aback and they don't really know what to answer with it, uh, answer it as, but it's at least, I think, a better place to start having an authentic conversation. Um, but when I talk to people and you sort of get it out of the way, like, oh, I do this or I do that, or, you know, here's what the weather's like, um, there, once there's a little bit of space, I mean, sometimes if you don't know the person, that space is just uncomfortable and the conversation's over. But, but if there's that space and the conversation keeps going, I just sort of get the sense that there's something inside people, even if they don't have it on the outside. Mm-hmm. Like if what they talk about is, is um, how they don't like their job or that they would rather do this other thing, which I think is where a lot of people are at. Not necessarily a lot of people listening to this podcast, I don't know, but a lot of people just in big cities these days, there's so much, you know, pressure and, and people just end up, a lot of people end up, I think that's probably the, the average place that a sort of successful professional would be. Um, and once you just get past that, I, I can just sense it. So my answer to that is it has to be there. Um, and the question is, how can they find it? And I've, I've gotten a lot of value out of going to conferences and, and events with, with sort of like-minded people. And the, the topic for the, cons, the, the conference matters less than just the attitudes of everyone there. There's one in Portland that, that I love going to called XOXO. Mm-hmm. And it's mostly about art and technology. And I still love, I, I went um, a couple years ago and I still love going there just because someone is really curious and passionate about something that is um, maybe like maybe they're an illustrator or a painter or they're a programmer. It, it really doesn't matter. It's really just their attitude is what you get inspired from. So that's the best way I found to get out of it. It's probably different for different people, but yeah, they, I, I think, I think people have to have it. And I, but it maybe goes to a deeper belief that I have, which is that everyone's created for a purpose mm-hmm. and there's a place for everybody. And the reason that there's so many problems going on in the world is because people aren't living that purpose. And if they did, then there's sort of something unique within everybody. Like somebody might be called to, let's say, be a therapist, right? It doesn't all have to be like something fun and glamorous, maybe on the outside, that someone's called to be a therapist and, and that person right now is a banker. And if they were a therapist, they would help over the course of their career. You know, they'd really touch the lives of 40 people who would then go on to really be more connected to why they're here. And there's just sort of this ripple effect. 
And so, so to me, that's just something that I, I believe really deeply, but, you know, I guess whatever you believe you find evidence of, but, but for me, that's, that's something that, that, that I hold really true. Hmm. Well, Ben, uh, this has been awesome. So I have one last question for you, yeah. uh, which you've probably heard me ask since you've listened to our interviews. What do you I think, think so. it is that makes somebody on un- or something unmistakable? I think what makes someone un- something unmistakable or someone is when they're so true to their own experiences, their own ideals, their own values that they've created something with their own life or with something that is an object or product that you get the feeling only this person could have created this. Uh, and you fill in the blank X, Y, Z, you know, this only this person could have created this because only they are so good with words that they could write a book that, that touched people in this way or, or, you know, only, you know, only this person could do an interview like this, you know, because, you know, X, Y, Z has brought you here, right? That that's, to me, that's what makes something unmistakable. And that's what makes people want to talk about something. And, and I think that there's really a hunger for, you know, so many people are bored, there's just a hunger for more things that are interesting in the world. And that's what makes something interesting to me as well is when, it's just, it's so unique and authentic that you can just feel it from any aspect, from looking at it, from hearing about it, that you just know. Awesome. Well, um, I really, really uh, appreciate you taking the time to join us and uh, share some of your insights and your story with our listeners. This has been really, really fun and mouthwatering. Yeah, it's <laughs> my pleasure. I'll, I'll definitely send you some chocolates. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Wednesday on The Unmistakable Creative. I, I began to understand in my 20s that the only way that I would be able to really authentically relate to the world and take my stand in the world was if I was extraordinarily public and open and vulnerable about my weaknesses. I mean, people ask me all the time, like, how I've gotten to where I've gotten now. And my answer is very not sexy at all. It's not like I suddenly became confident overnight. It's just that I have learned to find strengths in my weaknesses and love in my vulnerabilities and, and an acceptance of my limitations and in working within those limitations. Writer Tim Lawrence joins us to talk about navigating the internal journeys of adversity and loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.